1: The following is a Hoop Bowl presentation.
2: Welcome, welcome to another episode of Punt Intended, the Fantasy NBA Dynasty Podcast. I'm your host, Rhett Bauer, joined as always by my co host, Travis Fuller.
1: Hey, how are we doing today? Another beautiful day in the Midwest here for me. Excited to talk some dynasty hoops, and I know you're super excited for today's episode because we'll be breaking down your Indiana Pacers here to start.
2: Absolutely, and it wouldn't be a Pacers podcast if we didn't mention the weather and bring on <laughs> our guest, <laughs> Mark Schindler from Indy Cornrows. Mark, it is a pleasure to be able to return the favor for all the pity invitations I get to come on your podcast. How are you doing today?
3: Well, first of all, it was not a pity invitation. You actually know what you're talking about. Um I'm psyched to be on though, man. Thanks for thanks for inviting me. Um I'm not really uh I, I do play fantasy basketball. I don't know if I can say I'm terrible at setting my lineups on time. Um but yeah, Oh, I'm, you're I'm, that I'm, guy. You're that guy. Dude, the okay. You, you know how much stuff I do. So I, I do. The fact I do. that I even buy into leagues is enough on its own. Like just to take my $20 and, and pretend that it's enough. All right. It's, that's just That's, chari- that's just
2: charity it. at that point. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, awesome. We are here to talk about the Indiana Pacers with Mark, and that ties in very nicely with some breaking news we had today. And I take partial blame for it because we planned this out. And this morning I was looking at the outline. I was like, man, we don't really have any breaking news to talk about the league. Well Karis Levert has a stress fracture in his back now. Yeah. And uh this the day after Media Day where Rick Carlisle said there wasn't any significant injuries to add to TJ Warren and Edmund Sumner, obviously. And so, Mark, do you know anything more about that and what that could mean for the team?
3: Yeah. Um, so based on everything that we have heard and that Rick Carlisle has said, like this just came out yesterday. There was a initially some blowback, like, oh, did they, did they lie to us at media day? I don't think it's that deep. They, you know, no. they knew it was going to get out. Um, they said that it came from a, a scan that Karras had later in the day yesterday. And there was a point in time uh, during Rick's uh, media session on Monday uh, when he was asked about further injuries to the team outside of TJ Warren and Edmund Sumner, and he hesitated a little bit. And I'm assuming this is why he hesitated, because he said, you know, nothing major. Um and by all accounts, yes, yeah, you hear stress fracture in the back. You're like, oh, that's pretty major to me. But um, my guess is that he'll miss part of preseason at the least. Um, and so, you know, they, they came out and said today that it seems like he should be good to go by the start of the regular season. But does that mean good to go on court, good to go for practice, you know, like just good to be back in in the, the facility? Um, My guess is they meant on court. But again, you know, we're just these things are definitely more touch and go. So um, it definitely should have a small impact on uh, on him and and what that means for him to begin the year. It is not encouraging for a Pacers
2: team that whose mantra is like, if everyone is healthy to to have a great start. No, to have two starters have injuries that were supposed to have. Well, first off, Karis is obviously we didn't know anything about, and then Warren wasn't supposed to still be an issue. And it very much is obviously Edmund Sumner, another rotation player that I know we are both very high on is not in. So that brings us to our first question. And right now, what does the rotation look like? And then obviously when everybody's healthy, what do you think that looks like and who are some players that some guys might be invested in, that may be in or out of the rotation
3: yeah so for me right now it's pretty cut and dry and looking and saying that the the starting lineup obviously tj warren is not going to be in it to begin the year but uh malcolm brogdon karis levert who i'm assuming you know within reason is going to be back within the first two weeks we'll talk a little bit more about that in a second but like just in looking at outlook in terms of like the first month or two like it's brogdon levert sabonis and turner set in stone my guess at who is going to be the the fifth starter is Justin Holliday. Um, that's just based on how things have gone last year in terms of looking at the way that, that lineups can be constructed. Um, they have talked really highly of Tory Craig in uh, every media availability. So I do think it's, it's it's possible that he starts, especially when you look at the fact that, that Harris might miss some time too. Um, we're not going to have a better idea until uh, you know we see some stuff in preseason and uh, hear more on it, but by all accounts, Torrey Craig is high up in the pecking order. Um, and I also wouldn't be shocked if we see Chris Duarte start, especially if Kara Silvert misses time. Uh, I would say Chris Duarte probably slots in pretty naturally into um, that starting two guard spot. Uh, the Pacers don't technically have like a, a non, uh, like an actual like uh point guard in the starting lineup. It's just a high point of contention in the fan base, but i um, I wouldn't be entirely shocked if they ended up going with Chris Duarte in there. Um, regardless, his minutes are, are going to go up with this as long as Karis Levert is out. Um, and again, what's so crazy about this roster is how many NBA guys there are and the way that the rotations can, can, can kind of be tweaked. Um, and you can also squint and say, okay, well, maybe Jeremy Lamb starts because Jeremy Lamb spent time in the starting lineup in 2019, um, 20. He came back from a pretty catastrophic knee injury last year and dealt with some issues part of that was on you know the way that he was utilized defensively but also just not being quite there all the way and his offensive game fell off a little bit after a really hot shooting start but the team tried to trade him in the offseason uh, and it's possible that they they look to start him again or or, or really ramp up his menace to try and uh, see if they can increase his trade value before the trade deadline so I would also say his minutes are probably going to be up pretty high as well.
1: Is there, so is there any chance, let's say, let's say this Levert injury is a little bit more serious than than we initially anticipated. And, and he's out uh, six weeks, instead of maybe the three weeks that they think he's going to be um, right at that season starting point. Is there any chance uh, their latest or their newest signee uh, TJ McConnell gets into the starting lineup or do they just like him coming off the bench and filling that role?
3: Yeah, so that's something I've thought about a little bit, um, especially like, you know, once TJ Warren went down, I thought through the idea of TJ in the starting lineup, and I I got too many TJs. It sounded too navvy for last <laughs> year, but um, yeah, I thought in some ways, like you really like having TJ McConnell come off the bench because of, you, you just need to stagger your ball handlers in a way, but given, like we just mentioned, there isn't necessarily a true lead point guard on the team. They like having more ball handlers around. I think, in some ways, if Karras misses a great deal of time, like it could make sense for him to step up into the starting lineup too. And a, a really important factor in looking at that, I was I was talking to some a friend who covers the Dallas Mavericks yesterday um, about what a transition from from away from her Carlisle Carlisle looks like. Like even with Luka Doncic in Dallas, they pretty often would run a traditional point guard, whether that was Trey Burke or or Jalen Brunson. Um, so I do think, uh, you know, he's spoken fairly highly of TJ McConnell and compared him to players that he's had in his past, like J.J. Barea. Um, So I do think it's entirely possible that we see TJ McConnell and enter the starting lineup, especially with Karis LeVert out. I don't really think that that's in play just with TJ out, um, but with uh, with Karis out, I think that's definitely in play. Without a doubt, Karis just handles the ball so much
2: in that mm-hmm. in that infrastructure that having a guy like TJ come in there and handle the ball makes some sense with how high they seem to be on Duarte. It would surprise me if they didn't put him in there eventually, especially if Karras is out that long. But we had the Grizzlies on, we had the Hawks on, we had the Warriors on, which is three very muddled rotations after you get out of the starting lineup of guys that just could be fantasy relevant if they got enough time. And the Pacers fall in that group too, if everyone is healthy. But like you said, Jeremy Lamb's probably going to have his minutes solidified. Chris Duarte will have his minutes solidified. TJ McConnell's not going anywhere. So Tory Craig, like you mentioned, has been spoken of very highly by the team. It seems like O'Shea Set might be the guy that gets cut out of the rotation a little bit. Maybe even Gogo Patadze if they keep the two bigs as long as they do, even
3: though we know how much of a disservice that would be. Yeah. So it's, it, it is really weird. That was what, um, you know, I tried to parse through this with my, my podcast co-host and, and like probably the smartest Pacers person out there, Caitlin Cooper yesterday. Um, I am very high on Oshie shape She is as well. Most people who cover the team are, he had a fantastic last 20 games with the year with the Pacers as, after he got called up from Fort Wayne um, had an awesome showing in summer league and they really just did not talk about him that much. Um, and again, it's just media day. So you don't want to take too much from it, but a lot of it was, um, talking about Isaiah Jackson, who was the back end of the first round pick, not their lottery pick, but I believe he was pick 24. If I remember correctly, off the top of my head, um, which I was surprised by. It's been a complete tonal shift with him. Like they went from on draft night and even, you know, in, during summer league, there was a Q and a with, uh, with Chad Buchanan from, from Scott Agnes, um, and it seemed like they were very in on the idea of who Isaiah Jackson could be in a couple of years and were more so looking at him as a developmental piece uh, with the with the Mad Ants this year. Yesterday was a complete change of tone uh, in talking about him as a guy who could come in and, and contribute right away. And they see as a four already and, and think that he can play significant minutes. Um, I don't know what they necessarily classify as significant minutes. Is there a caveat with that is him as for him as a rookie, but I do think it was notable how much Tory um, Craig and Isaiah Jackson got talked about relative to O'Shea Brissett. Um, and especially too. like, I know I am not the fantasy guru, but like Isaiah Jackson is a guy who will fill up the box score. Like he had a game in summer league where I think it was in 24, or 25 minutes um, he tied the, N- the NBA Summer League blocks record uh, with, I think it was eight, um, if I remember correctly. Uh, and he gets steals, like he just does a little bit of everything. He's kind of insane. But I, uh, so yeah, I'm not entirely sure what to make of that. I'll have, again, that's something I'd have a better answer than preseason. But I personally would, like, I, again, I'm not, the, I'm not the official person. I would still say that I think O'Shea should. Be in a, in a, in a, in a, get, you know, have the opportunity to step up and play more minutes. But I'm just not sure that that's going to happen. Um, but definitely somebody worth keeping your eye on um, in terms of looking at that.
1: Yeah, definitely. Very interesting. I'm glad you hit on the, the bigs because when you think of the Indiana Pacers, you immediately think of that duo of Sabonis and Turner. Um, just talking with Red a lot, uh, I know he thinks that they're going to be uh, splitting time. Between the two, maybe not having both of them on the court as much as they have in the past. Um, is there anything that you've heard from from Carlisle or, or anybody within that organization of of splitting those minutes up between the two? Um, and do you see that having any effect on their play at all when when they are um, staggered like that on the court?
3: So something that was really interesting yesterday is uh, you know when Miles Turner opened up his media availability, he talked a lot about. Um, having more opportunities in the offense and wanting to have more opportunities in the offense, which was something I was a little bit taken aback by. Um, he's somebody who, you know, his usage has gone down every single year since his, uh, his, his second year in the league, and this is year seven for him now. Um, I do think there are more opportunities for him to, to get touches. Um, like, he's the kind of player who could get more. I just am not sure where it's coming from unless things are being directly run for him, but it, it just kind of seems like that might be the direction they're going. And they have mentioned staggering them more. I also am just not entirely sure how much more they can do it though. Uh, Because this past year, like as much as they have harped on that, um, like they already staggered a lot last year. Like Sabonis was pretty exclusively uh, playing with the starters and miles. Like they would, they would start games together. Miles would come out after about four or five minutes. um, And then he would come in and run the bench unit at the end of the first quarter. Uh, So, I mean, it could be different in how it's set up. Like, I think one of the ways you could talk about it, like Sabonis used to just absolutely pummel bench units uh, in 2019-20. That was a big reason for his statistical lead part. I mean, obviously a lot of it is just being a damn good player, but also like just by stepping up and uh, being able to eviscerate bench units with TJ McConnell and Doug McDermott, that was huge for him. Um, so I think you could say maybe Miles Turner has a slight offensive uptick, but I, I want to see – what that looks like before I I say that that's set in stone, but that's definitely something that could be in the works for sure. And I actually would not be entirely surprised if if there is a little bit of a downtick for Sabonis, even though like, um, I I do think he's going to be an improved player. He's a a two-time all-star, but like, I think he's going to play less minutes this year, most likely. Um, And I'm interested to see how he gets utilized by Carlisle. Um, I don't really think his role is going to change very much. But I do think that, um, you know, just given that he, I think he finished playing 36 minutes per game last year, I'd be surprised if it's even close to that. So it's funny because anybody who asks me Pacers stuff, I have
2: constantly been telling them that Sabonis is probably going to regress a little bit and that Miles will probably end up just growing a tiny bit. And just so for all of you out there, it's not just me. And so specifically for Dynasty, because DeMontis Sabonis last year, he was at 36.4 minutes a game, and that bumped him up into like the top 25 for Dynasty rankings. And while that is still where he is for Travis and I, it's just there's no way that's sustainable as far as a minutes load and the usage load even to a to an extent. I know he's more of the hub of the offense, but with how many injuries they had, it I guess it could be sustainable this year if Warren and Levert miss extended time, but that's that could be where those shots come from for Miles Turner a little yeah. bit. Is there anybody else other than Sabonis who might be a bit of a surprise in a negative light? Um, somebody who might regress a little bit from last year? I I mean TJ McConnell's a pretty easy one because I don't think he's gonna lead the league in steals, but anybody who, who may be more um more surprising than that?
3: Uh Man, that is a good question. Um, I don't think anybody jumps off the page to me as somebody who will take a downturn. Um, like, like we just talked about with Miles, I do wonder what things look like for him this season in terms of his stock rate. Um, because last year, like the scheme was predicated on sending everything to the rim, as nonsensical as that is, um, he was just so freaking good that I mean, he led the league in blocks. And I I still think that he will be up there, but there's a difference between blocking four shots per game and blocking two and a half or three. Um, You know, he was up there. There was a point early on in the year where he was averaging, I think, like 5.2 stocks per game or something like that over the first 20 or 30 because of how active he was in passing lanes and and just in general. And as the defense fell off, um, you know, that impacted some of his individual stats. But while I do think there might be an offensive uptick, I do think that I wouldn't be, like, crazy, crazy shocked if you see a little bit of his his, his block rate fall just because I think that will play a better brand of defense that doesn't force events creation or bust. Um, and that also goes counter to, like, as more of a positive thing. With Sabonis, one of the my favorite things to track last year, he got really good with his hands uh, at the point of attack, which, again, playing a guy who's 6'10", 6'11", at the point of attack was interesting. Um, I do interesting think there is a word to, for yeah, it. <laughs> there were reasons to do it. Uh, the execution behind it was flawed, but his hands really improved on the perimeter. And I think he, he actually was leading over the last 20 games. I think he led the team in steals. I think he averaged like a, a little over one and a half steals per game over the back end of the season. Um, I'm not saying that's something that will happen again this year, but he was really trying to improve his ability to play the passing lanes and, and just, you know, get his hand in the cookie jar a little bit more. Um, so again, that's not, it's just an, another cause for optimism potentially. But um, I also would add Justin Holiday as somebody who will probably see a, another downtake this year because um, he started for a large chunk of last year. And even though I do think he might start this year, I don't think he's going to play close to 30 minutes per game. At least I don't think he should. Um, I think in some ways we might see this team run a little bit deeper and especially with Chris Duarte on the wing, Who's a lot more dynamic offensively, while still bringing some similar things defensively. I think that there's a chance that he eats into Justin's minutes quite a bit. I mean, like we mentioned with Torrey Craig, there's a like there was a point last year where Justin Holiday was the closest thing that they had to an NBA four, which is just absolutely mind-boggling because he's a two and barely a three on most teams. Um, but they needed him so much for lineup versatility that he just had to play that much. Um, and I think as the team has really improved their lineup versatility this offseason, I would be pretty surprised if Justin's playing like more than twenty-five minutes per game. So that would definitely, especially for somebody who's not scoring a ton or or you know, playmaking or or rebounding at a high level, I would say that there's probably gonna be a downtick in terms of his fantasy production.
1: Yeah, I, I really I'll tell you what, I like what I'm hearing out of uh your mouth in terms of Duarte. I uh, just picked him up in our twelve team league. That's and a good I know that. I know the injuries are really unfortunate, but it makes me a little bit curious on on if he does start. And I'm really glad that he's going to get minutes right away and hopefully lock down a a secure role uh, for the whole season, not just right away. I know a lot of times rookies, it takes some time, but with Duarte being 24, that was a little bit of a, a little bit of a thought process there on, on taking him or not because he is older than your than your typical rookie, so he does need to start to contribute right away. He's going to hit that prime a little quicker than than most. So uh, I'm liking what I hear out of him. Uh, it sounds like Isaiah Jackson as well is a long term stash for us dynasty owners. If you have a spot, uh, Isaiah Jackson Isaiah Jackson is going to produce when he when he is going to get those minutes whenever that is. Um, one last guy I, I want to hear a little bit more about. I know we got to get going soon, but is a Goga. I mean, Goga was a a guy that a lot of people picked up in stash and thought might play backup minutes. He had some injuries um, within the past year and wasn't able to really contribute as much as we thought he might last year. Is there anything you hear from Goga or what kind of role he might have this year um, as a as a backup off the bench?
3: Uh, yeah. So he was another guy, just like O'Shaper Brissett, who was hardly talked about yesterday. Um, uh, actually Kevin Pritchard had to be asked about Gogo before he was talked about. And again, that's not meant as like a slight at the organization or anything. It's just media day, but, uh, given how much they have talked about the need to stagger Sabonis and Turner, I just don't know what role there is for Goga. Like, I do think you can say, and there were moments in time where, you know, in my fantasy league last year where Goga did have like the, especially when Miles was out, Goga was playing like 15 minutes a game, maybe a little bit more. And he had some real utility because he really upped his block rate and improved as a defender. And that helped him out there. Um, it really improved in, in finishing and in pick and roll as well. Um so I think you can look at that and say, if there's an injury to Miles or Domas, and like, yeah, I think there's utility there. But right now, I don't think that there's a whole lot of value to having Goga. Um, but he is also a guy that I would turn around and say, like, this is a team that has to make a trade at some point this year. Just because, like, I mean, you can hear talking through this. There are too many guys on this team who are um, not just, like, you know, bench-level players. Like, there are guys who are legitimate rotation-level players all throughout the team, and arguably too many of them. And Goga is one of them. Like he is, uh, he is a dominant G League player. Who I do think, if if he's not going to play in the NBA, they should just play him in the G League to get him some kind of developmental reps. Um, but also, I think if you know if they don't split up Sabonis and Turner, I think that they need to trade Goga because he's just not really going to get a real opportunity on this team like he deserves. Um, but again, like if he's a guy who I think could totally pop, if you were to get traded to another team, it would be a really interesting long-term play if you had him. Yeah, I do
2: have him. And I specifically picked him up because I know that the Pacers are due for a trade. I just don't know if it's actually going to end up happening, but Mark, thank you so much for coming on. I'm sure if there is a trade, we will bring you back on to talk about the fantasy ramifications of that, because there is... There's, there's so many moving pieces with this team that I feel like just could have massive, massive impacts for both this year and long term. Tell people where they can find you and tell us what you are working on so we can be sure to check that out.
3: Well, first of all, thanks Tom for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. Um, you can find me on Twitter at m Schindler NBA. It's spelled S C H I N D L E R, just like the list. Um, I have all my stuff goes up there. I do a lot of a lot of work, kind of everywhere. I, I do some. Well, I mainly cover the Pacers. That's over at Indy Cornrows. I host a podcast there as well. Um, I cover the Cleveland Cavaliers also at Fear the Sword, which is SB Nation's Cavaliers uh, coverage site. Um, And I do all things basketball-related at my site that I co-founded with a couple of other guys who cover the league, Premium Hoops. And I also do a lot of stuff over on my Patreon um, so yeah, Twitter is the easiest way to find me and, and my, my best recommendation for uh, for getting in touch with me or checking my stuff out.
2: This guy does way too much basketball stuff. I, I don't, do I, can't, I can't, I so. can't even have the time of the day to keep up with the stuff that he puts out, let alone have the time to then work on it. So be sure to check him out. We really, really appreciate it. And uh, now we're moving on to the Brooklyn Nets, and we're back with Josh Millman. From hoop ball and here to talk about the Brooklyn Nets, we're very excited to have him on. Josh, how are you doing today?
4: Doing great, guys. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. I'd normally do my yell and scream. I don't know how you guys do things here, but uh, I'll, keep, <laughs> I'll keep it calm. I don't want to freak you guys out here.
2: You know what? We're fine with some yelling and some screaming. That's just normally that happens after the podcast with Travis and I. But if you want to bring right, it to then man. then go right for it. So. <laughs> The Brooklyn Nets. Um, normally, we ask about the rotation, and some people might think asking about the Brooklyn Nets rotation is silly because of how top-heavy they are. But we were talking before the show. I don't think it's silly because that back end could potentially have some value for for some deeper leagues.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's um, you know the the only downside to that is yes, there's they're they're much deeper than they were last year as we saw in the playoffs how they fell apart uh, due to injury and guys like Blake Griffin are back, Marcus Aldridge is back, they signed Paul Millsap and then you have Claxton coming into his uh, officially third year Um, and then Bruce Brown is back and now they've signed Patty Mills so that's a pretty deep roster I think that that kind of brings it up to like 10-11 guys that that could play uh, at a given time so I think one of the things that will frustrate everyone is knowing when those guys will play and how often and how if Nash will stick to any one particular starting lineup or play the matchup so on so forth so um, but a lot of these guys will play minutes into the low 20s and I'm sure that there's some uh, late value to be had from those guys, but you may have to just ride some of these guys out and be patient and see, you know, if guys get rested throughout the year.
1: Yeah. I mean, this team, we, from a dynasty perspective, we, we know what we're getting out of, out of the players we're drafting when healthy. And I think that's, that's the big thing with this team is is how healthy are they going to stay throughout the season? And then how much of a load management will they receive not only mid season, but towards later in the year as well uh, once we, we start kind of getting where we start our dynasty playoffs and and things. So that's always something to keep an eye on. But the first thing I want to start out with, and I know Rhett is, is, is really interested in this as well is, uh, Nick Claxton, uh, a young player that showed a lot of promise last year, but like you mentioned, they, they brought back Griffin, they brought in Paul Millsap Marcus Aldridge is now back. Uh, how do you see that, that front court playing out as, as far as minutes go and maybe that, that starting lineup as well?
4: So unfortunately for you Dynasty folks, I, I really don't see Claxton getting a ton of minutes just because it is going to be such a logjam. He's going to be at best probably capped to the low 20s also. And really, it's, I just think that he's still a work in progress offensively. And obviously, he could do a great job rim running and stuff like that. But he is a complete non-factor from, from outside three to five feet of the basket. He's, he's a liability at the stripe. Uh, doesn't have that kind of long-range game to stretch out defenses. So um, I, I think that does kind of put a cap on his ability, whereas if they play small ball five, they go to Blake, they go to LMA, that those guys can shoot from deep. That puts even more strain in allowing uh, like guys like Harden and Kyrie to get to the basket easier. Um, so that's why I don't have the highest of hopes Uh for for Clacks, at least in the short term. In the long term, I think it's a different story because his defensive prowess is second to none. And there's he's he you could say that he's probably the best defender on the team right now. He can guard one through five. He keeps up with just about anyone. Uh the steals, the blocks are going to be there. He's one of the elite rim protectors in the league right now when you look at some of the metrics. Uh, so I, I think just on that alone, there's a lot of dynasty value to be had with him, uh, but you're going to have to be patient. And maybe he's a guy that if you're a team playing for next year, things don't break your way this year, he might be a good buy low guy. If, if you see that, you know, the nets are playing for the title, they keep switching guys in and out of the lineup and he's getting lost in the shuffle. He's going to be a good long-term player. That's for sure.
2: Without a doubt. It hurts me to hear that Claxton won't be as involved, but I also know what I'm getting into when it comes to this team and he's shown that he can be productive in a limited amount of time. Is there, is there somebody on this roster towards the back end that you think is going to get more opportunity than others? Is there somebody who's going to surprise most owners who may not be following the Brooklyn Nets that closely?
4: It's hard to say that there's going to be a surprise, but the two guys that you should really keep your eye on late in drafts are Patty Mills and Bruce Brown. Uh, I would say those guys of all of the reserve players, those guys probably have the most secure roles on that team, just because where the Nets struggled last year, ironically enough, was in the backcourt towards the end of the season and the playoffs. They didn't have a lot of depth. They were signing Mike James, from overseas, but here's Patty Mills, a guy who's veteran guy knows how to run an offense, uh, can play multiple positions, and and is an excellent three point shooter. It's exactly the recipe the Nets need for for this team. And Bruce Brown, we know, can can deliver some real low key fantasy value based on what he can do. Not a great three point shooter, but they deployed him as a point center at times last year. They really unlocked. Uh, a lot of special attributes in his game, the, the defense, the rebounding, the passing. And, and when you add it all up, he can be uh, a late, late round kind of guy. And so I, don't, I think of all of the bench guys, he's probably the biggest candidate for kind of a true six man. Maybe you could say Blake, but they might shuffle uh, the, the starting five on that team like we mentioned. But uh, I really like those two guys as being kind of the, uh, the preeminent value guys on this team late.
1: Yeah, I definitely have my eye on Patty Mills. I, I tend to like to build my teams around points, threes, free throw percentage, and kind of go that route. And then Patty Mills is definitely a guy I have my eye on, uh, especially if he can get anywhere near the minutes he got last year, which was around 25 minutes uh, that he was able to get with the Spurs. And it does appear to be the, the minutes should be able to be there for him, especially with with Kyrie Irving's never-ending saga that he likes to do sometimes in and out of the lineups, and and you just never know. So. I do, I do like Patty Mills, and I'm I'm glad that he's a guy that you mentioned. I do want to get into some of these younger players because again, we we know what these veterans are going to bring. We know what Katie is going to do, Joe Harris. We we know what they're going to provide to our teams. Uh, a player I really want to talk about is is Cam Thomas and and what potential role he could have this team. He's a guy that averaged 23 points at LSU last year, uh, and then we obviously all watched the summer league where he could he lit it up, and that scoring's legit. Uh, co-MVP do you see him having a role early on with this team or or even as the season gets progresses is, is he going to be able to find some minutes as well
4: yeah I, I potentially I I just don't know that he's going to have a steady role obviously and and again just this is a team playing for a title but at the same time like we said the Nets are going to be ultra cautious with their stars and their veterans. So there's probably a way in certain games where he'll be, you know, eighth, ninth guy off the bench or so if they want to get some bench scoring. But I really don't see even if, if let's say everything falls to hell that he, you know, he's only going to get like maybe 15, 20 minutes at most uh, on this team. And, and it's probably not enough for him to really make a fantasy impact, but long-term man, that guy's a gamer. And the, the Nets really got a steal in, in him. So um, I, I would love him on a long-term dynasty team, that's for sure. He's just going to get lost in the shuffle, unfortunately, uh, this season. But the, the beauty of this is if, if you pick him late in a dynasty league and you can be patient with him, the, one, you know that the scoring is going to be prolific uh, with Cam Thomas. But the other thing is, is that just the basketball IQ by osmosis by playing with these guys is going to be through the roof. Uh, So I think one of the things that the nets are able to do is they have a pretty good track record of developing young talent and, and unlocking their full potential and not just making cam Thomas, just a a one trick pony, which I think as, as it translates to the NBA, that's kind of where he is right now. Let's be, let's be honest. But if, but moving forward, there's probably other skill sets that he can lock into, passing, defense, etc., cetera, uh, where he becomes a more complete player. And I think that's where his value will, will, will net out long-term.
2: Yeah, I love that. I know Travis is pretty high on a guy like Cam Thomas on a team like the Nets who just occasionally could need somebody like him to come in there and just get buckets, like he said. And I really liked your talking about – Basketball IQ through osmosis, because if you're going to put a, a young player around some guys, players like KD Harden, maybe not so much Kyrie, but like for on the basketball side of things, you absolutely want those guys around mentoring, not only with the basketball, but also the work ethic and everything that comes to that. So extremely, extremely excited to see what he can be. De'Ron Sharp is a guy that I was a little bit surprised to see Brooklyn take because they had Claxton and that just didn't seem like the type of player that Brooklyn would would go out and make a trade to get the pick and then take a guy like him. Is there anything from him that you saw during summer league or anything you've heard from the Nets to give an indication of what they think of him moving forward? The the interesting is you're you're right. They Dayron Sharp doesn't fit the kind of
4: profile of of your typical Nets player, but but if you follow, you know, beat writers or anyone kind of close to the team. The Nets had really been on De'Ron Sharp for a very, very long time. Uh, so very early on in the, in the college process and, and in the draft process, De'Ron Sharp constantly mocked the Nets, you know, whether it's late first, early second. I, I didn't really understand it, but I, I'm also not going to question Sean Marks and his brass, again, just because of their track record in unlocking talent. And I think sometimes the answer is the simplest one is that De'Ron Sharp is an outstanding rebounder. That's that's how how he made his chops at at North Carolina. And that's where I think the Nets want him to make his chops in the league. Again, this team doesn't need a lot of scoring. He's not going to be a, a deep threat, I don't believe. Maybe he develops into one, I don't know. But I think, you know, he classifies as more of a traditional big man. I know those guys are kind of dying, but if they can build him up into, hey, grab rebounds, play some tough defense, block some shots here and there. Then I think, you know, getting that kind of guy in the late first, especially if you just believe in a guy, you got to go get him and, and, and see, see if you can build him up.
1: Yeah, I agree. I, I really liked him at North Carolina. His his energy that he brings, and as you mentioned, he's a prolific rebounder and and he fits really well with a team that that has stars that doesn't need to be a scorer or be the guy. Uh, sticking with those bigs, I'm just really interested because there's so many of them. Is there, if you had to pick one of these veterans between a guy like Griffin, Aldridge, or Paul Millsap, if you had to choose one that'll make the most impact? Um, not only for the Nets, but maybe for uh, fantasy as well. Which which one of you, those guys do you think is going to get the most minutes and make the most impact? Hmm.
4: That's, that's actually a good question because I could probably vacillate between all three of those guys <laughs> <Just put laughs> at, a coin. At, at any yep. given time. Yeah. Um. But if I were to choose one, um, I, I would probably say Lamarcus Aldrich. and the only reason why is because I think that you know having Missed out late in the year last year due to the, the heart condition and now being cleared to play. I think that there's probably a little added motivation for him to really, you know, have a strong season. I think, um, I think he fits so naturally as, as kind of the starting five on this team. So I think that there's a chance where he probably gets the most starts of the three at the position Um, and again, we, we know his range, uh, we know he's, he's a solid rebounder and, and he was really, he was blocking shots when he was part of the nets there. I think, again, knowing that these guys all want to be here, all want to play for a title. It's really unlocked, you know, both, you know, with LMA with, with Blake, they, they get their second win, And I think, you know, just with LMA and, but really with the nets as a whole, these guys are motivated. They's, everyone saw what happened against the Bucs. They were two Durant toes away from advancing and they realized how close they were and now they're fully loaded. So I, I think that, you know, these guys are all going to play with, with those proverbial chips, uh, especially LMA, at least in, in my mind.
2: Travis said flip a coin more like roll a dice. Cause you've got about <laughs> <Exactly>. six options <laughs> over there. So it really will be interesting to see what comes of that. I mean, I think the Nets are the favorite. I, I assume you agree with that. I don't think there's any question about the talent that they have and, and the players that they can roll out there. We've talked about it before. If the Nets have two healthy of their three, they probably still have – Two of the better players, two of the best players on the floor. So it's just, it's going to be very, very interesting to see how they treat this regular season and what sort of fantasy value we can get from that. Josh, we really appreciate you coming on here and talking about your Brooklyn Nets. Where can people find you? And do you have anything coming out that people need to know about?
4: Well, thank you guys. It was a pleasure being on. You guys are killing it. And so I'm just on Twitter at Josh Millman. Very simple. Uh, hit me up. I'm willing to talk hoops whenever. Um, and I don't really have anything special coming up. I've mentioned in one of our like mock chats, I'm just kind of hoop balls a roving idiot at this point. I, I, do some, <laughs> I, I, do, I do some writing. I do some potting here and there. I'm just happy to, to be along for the ride. I'm kind of one of the OGs around here. So I just, I, I, I do what I can. And, and uh, Dan and, and Panda and obviously Brewski, they, uh, they you know, they, they, they got a good thing going. So I'm just happy to be along for the ride.
2: Well, we're glad to have an OG on the show. You and uh, you and Adam King are two two out of four, I think. So we got to get <laughs> we got to get those other ones on here. But Josh, thank you so much for coming on. No, everybody you, out guys. there, everybody out there listening, be sure to give us a rating and review over wherever you get your podcast. Check out our dynasty rankings over at hoop-ball.com. And as always, thank you very much for tuning in. We will catch you again next time.